This message was preached by lead pastor Tony Colomb. It is our hope and prayer that this message is a blessing to you and encourages your walk with Jesus to grow deeper. Thank you again for listening to this week's sermon audio. Good morning. Good morning. Hey. I know it's over there. I'm going to go without just because everything's, you know, so usually I have a stand that I use, but I thank you. Thank you very much. We're just going to go freestyle here. This, yeah, I'm fine. Totally fine. Um, it's great to have you here this morning. Thank you so much for being here. We are still preaching through our Advent series. We've got this little book, and I think they might be all gone, so I'm apologizing for that. If we have any, there might be some on the credenza out in the little hallway here. It's an Advent for everyone, and I hope that if you've gotten one, you've been able to continue through it with us, because I think it's a great little uh, family tool that we can use in our households to study and and kind of have discussions. And so as we've been going through this Advent season, we've been talking about different themes leading up to Christmas, because Advent basically means we're like waiting and anticipating Jesus. And so that's kind of what we're doing here this month, and Christmas is coming up real soon. So, so far, our themes for the weeks have been a time for Thanksgiving, a time for patience, and then this week is a time for humility. And I'm like reading through this book, preparing as a preacher, thinking to myself, what in the world are we doing here? Like, (laughs) these topics are not fun. It requires like work in my life to have to preach these types of things. And growing in gratitude, okay, that sounds nice. Growing in patience and humility, that's where things get a little more difficult. And so we're going to talk about the humility. More specifically today, the passage they just read is from the Gospel of John And it talks about this character named John the Baptist. And we're going to look at him as an example for humility and how he reflects that for us. So let me go ahead and say a word of prayer. We'll kind of catch ourselves up to the text and talk about this topic. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you that everyone could be here this morning. And I thank you for the kids and all the work they put into helping us uh, lead in worship this morning. And so, Father, thank you so much for that. I I thank you for the families that have blessed us with their kids and allowing them to come and participate in this with us. It's just a real joy this morning. And, and Father, as we get closer and closer to Christmas and we celebrate the time in which you came as a baby, you entered into our space and showed us who you are and what your heart is like and what you'd like from us and how we can be in a right relationship with you. We just say thank you. Thank you for that wonderful gift you've given us. And with all the things that are going on in our lives and in the world today, I just pray that right now we could spend just a few moments focusing on you and your word and just worshiping you. So Father, speak to us all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I I love John the Baptist. He's one of my favorite characters. And if you've been a part of this with us for a few weeks before this series, we were going we have been going through the gospel of Matthew, and it's a long series, and we've got a long ways to go, but when we started off and we were kind of getting through the beginning phases of the Gospel of Matthew, we came across John the Baptist, and he's quite the character. In fact, he's such a favorite of mine that when I was a little kid here at this church, we had uh, uh, harvest parties is what we called them, you know, the, the Christian Halloween alternatives, right? And uh, if, you, if you were going to come to the harvest party, you had to pick a, a Bible character to dress up as. 
Well, growing up, my dad was, was not a church goer. He wasn't a Christian person. My mom was. So it was an interesting dynamic to grow up in, you know, and uh, church this day and not so much that day. And I think that's very stereotypical for a lot of people out there. But my dad, uh, since we lived right next door to the preacher, Doug Marshall, who was the preacher at the time, he liked to uh, mess with Doug as much as he possibly could and just give him a hard time, like try to be really vulgar to him just to see if he could get him to blush. Uh, that's, that was my dad. And so one year for the, the harvest party, uh, he decided that I should be John the Baptist, for the, but not just John the Baptist, John the Baptist head on a plate. Because if you know anything about the story, yeah, it starts off great, but eventually John gets beheaded because of a crazy woman. And so his head is on a platter. And so he, my dad made for me a platter that fashioned around my neck, and he put fake blood all over it and sent me on my way to the church party like that. That didn't go over so well. <laughs> not one bit. And so I was asked very kindly, repeatedly, to not do that again. <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> so uh, all that to say, I've always had a special place in my heart for John the Baptist. Uh, he's described as this crazy bearded man, which again, gotta love that, with like camel hair clothing, leather belts, eating locusts and honey. I'm not too keen on the locust part, but man, drizzle stuff and honey and I'm all on board with that. That sounds great, but just kind of nomadic out in the desert. What we know about John the Baptist is he was a part of this group of people called the Essenes, and they were kind of your, like, monks of the time. So very much apart from the city life of Jerusalem, out there in the desert a little way, and they had this uh, philosophy about their living that they would know the path and walk the path, and that meant they would know God's word, that they would know God's word and they would live it out, and so they were very intense and very intentional about doing that. Now, while I might not agree about this whole aspect of completely separating myself from the rest of the world in order to do that, I do admire their zeal in knowing God's word and living it out. And John is believed to have been a part of that group of people. And so usually uh, their philosophy, of course, was then if you wanted to know God's path and walk God's path, you had to come to us. And so it was really interesting that John would depart from them to go about preaching and inviting people and calling them to uh, prepare themselves for the coming of the Lord. So just a fiery guy, crazy-haired, wild person, just, I love this guy. And so we're going to talk about him today. And now you get into the New Testament, and it starts with this book of Matthew. You've got Matthew Mark, Luke, and John. So Matthew talks about him. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, of course, this morning. Not written by John the Baptist. Written by the Apostle John, who would spend a lot of time with Jesus, outlived most of the other 12 original disciples of Jesus, wrote the book of Revelation when he was an old man, isolated on an island. Some crazy stuff, that book of Revelation. But this, the Gospel of John, to me, if, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, I, I don't know much about Jesus. Who's Jesus? Can you tell me about him? The Gospel of John is where I point people to first because Jesus, like no other book in the Bible, tells you who he is. When he says things like, I am, fill in the blank, 
That's when we need to pay attention. If we want to know who Jesus is, what he's like, what his nature, what his character is like, the Gospel of John is a great place to start. He calls himself the living water, the light of the world, the bread of life, the vine, the shepherd, all these things. And so it's a great place to start. But when you get into chapter 1, the Apostle John, he doesn't go through the genealogies of where Jesus comes from. He doesn't start with the manger scene. This isn't really our Christmas gospel text. He starts right off in kind of a cryptic way saying, Jesus was there at the very beginning and he created all things. And he calls Jesus the Word. So even from the beginning of the text, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So that's important because we can't just start off in our text here without hearing John describe Jesus in that way first. He was the word. He was in the beginning. All things were made by him and through him. He was the light of men. He was the light of the world. A light shines in the darkness. And so he's, he's setting his theme for the gospel, for the entire letter, and it's important. So then what he does is he interjects a little bit of John's story as it blends together. They're actually cousins. And John the Baptist was born not too long before Jesus was born. So he's not that much his elder, but he's out there doing things before Jesus starts his ministry full time to prepare people for the coming of the word, the light into the darkness. And so verse 6 and 8, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So that tells you what John's ministry looked like, what his job was in the world. He was not the one coming to be the light or provide salvation or to fix things or any of that. His whole role was to prepare people to receive the light. It's almost like running in a dark room and saying, hey, I know where the light switch is and kind of helping people understand the light is, we can turn the light on. The light can conquer the darkness. Let's be prepared for this light coming into the darkness. And so his whole mission and his whole purpose was to prepare people's hearts and minds to receive Jesus as he would come. So we skip all the way down then to the testimony about John the Baptist, and it says this, And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent the priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So the Jews, they sent like their, their alpha dogs from the church or from the temple, right? The, the temple uh, representatives, the, the priest and the Levites. And the, the Levites were a special group of people that, you know, priests would come from that line of folks. And so we had like the, it would be like sending the church leadership then to go out and ask the guy on the corner, what are you doing out here? Where are you from? But you got to understand that at this point in time, there's quite a bit of corruption going on in this temple system. And a lot of the questions that these guys are looking to ask is all about like, hey, 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 you're out here upsetting the apple cart. What are you doing? Because John's out there and he's preaching, and we'll talk about this in a little bit. He's preaching a, a baptism of repentance. And I know it kind of sounds funny, especially if you're not really into church. And when we baptize people here, we fill up a tank full of water. We say, all right, you're going to be united with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 
And we usually say things we, like, we now baptize you in the name of Jesus, or we now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, or the Holy Spirit. And really what this is, is a special moment where we believe that if we accept what Jesus has done for us for the forgiveness of sins, through baptism, we get to participate in a union with Jesus through death, burial, and resurrection, a, a cleansing. The water itself alone is not special without faith in who Jesus is and what he's done and then what that means for us. So it's, it's not necessarily a baptism of repentance where we say, all right, I'm going to turn away from this and turn to this. It's a union with Jesus and a stepping into his family, almost like a marriage. Like I am in this moment accepting your love and promising and pledging to love you regardless of my feelings in a moment. Because I don't know about you, but if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you don't always feel like loving Jesus. Whoa, I can't believe the preacher just said that. You know, because sometimes we treat Jesus as a lucky rabbit's foot. Sometimes if Jesus doesn't get us out of a pickle, oh, this Jesus thing doesn't work. You know, we don't feel like loving Jesus. So it's, it's, it's more than that. It's bigger than that. It's, it's I'm entering into this, this relationship, and I'm committing myself to love greater and deeper and, and beyond feelings. It's a commitment. It's a contract. It's a covenant relationship with Jesus. But John, he's, he's baptizing people and asking them to turn away from the legalistic, corrupt temple system and to prepare themselves to receive God how he intended them to be connected to him with their heart, hearts of mercy, hearts full of grace and humility, seeking him, seeking to love him, live like him, and do what he's asked us to do. So that's what he's out there doing is preparing the way from that. And they're like, hey, 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 you are like asking people to step out from under our shadows and our clutches like, uh, we ain't having none of that. So they're not happy about what John's doing whatsoever. And these were the type of leaders for years and years and years. And any time somebody came around and challenged their authority, they tried to find ways to kill them. Example, Jesus. So we carry on. Verse 20, and this would be John. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So they've been anticipating this Jesus character to return. They've read through all the Old Testament scriptures, the, the scrolls written down by the prophets, and they're anticipating a Messiah, a Savior to come. But what they're looking for is a little more shallow than what Jesus was going to end up becoming. They're looking for someone to kick out the Romans, a very political Savior, a very now physical, national, geopolitical type of situation. They didn't understand that Jesus had so much more in mind than boundary markers on a map or a, a birthplace of origin and a passport. He had a, a greater kingdom, an eternal kingdom in mind that looked radically different than what they were anticipating. It wasn't going to be taking the world by force and brute strength. It would be done through service and humility and laying down one's life for their friends. That's, that's what Jesus was ushering in. So he's like, well, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the one you're expecting. I'm, I'm not that. I'm, I'm never claiming to be that. Verse 21, and they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. 
So they were anticipating Elijah, and he was a real famous prophet in the Old Testament, right? Very famous. They were anticipating a return of Elijah to come and prepare the way for the Savior. So these are questions in line with what they thought and believed at the time. He's like, no, no, I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? So again, they were, they were expecting another great prophet for them, someone like Moses, because they thought Elijah was definitely up there on the list of, of prophets, the hierarchy of prophets he was up there. And the only other prophet-type person that was higher would be Moses, because they, they saw Moses as a, as a prophet as well. So are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And I find this to be interesting. I think this is why in our Advent series, an N.T. Wright brings in the example of John when we talk about humility is because John had every opportunity right here to claim to be something he's not and to all of a sudden have a, a, a better pedestal to stand on, to have more authority behind him, to have more influence and sway. John could have easily stepped into a role that he was not actually in and had more people follow him, more people do what he say, have more influence in the area, really, really get after the Pharisees if that's what he wanted to do. And trust me, I, I guarantee you there was a part of him that really wanted to stick it to the Pharisees and the Levites and the people from the temple. After all, he was baptizing people and calling them away from that system. To find the true heart of God. Get out of your legalism. Get out of your church structures. Get out of your traditions. And come follow the real heart of God. You've been off track. Come out here. Find God again. Oh, I bet he wanted it more, more than he probably cared to admit or that's written down in scripture. He wanted to totally blow up the system. It was like rage against the machine for you 90s kids. There's like a handful of us that think that's funny. That's fine. <laughs> but he didn't. Because he knew who he was and he knew who was coming after him. He had a per proper perspective on who Jesus was. He said, no, no, not me, not me, not me. And how different is that than in the world we live in today? I mean, there's so many people that will carry out false narratives and lies in order to get a little more attention, a little more love, a few more double taps on the Instagram and thumbs up on the Facebook page. But John's like, nope, nope, I'm just a voice. I'm just one crying out in the wilderness asking people to look at Jesus. Not look at me, look at Jesus. I'm just the siren blaring down the street, getting the cars to pull over so there's a clear path for the Messiah to come through. Just, just a voice, that's it. I just want you to open your eyes, your ears, and your hearts to he who is coming, Jesus. Verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. 
These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So again, they asked him, why are you baptizing him? If you're not the Savior, why are you baptizing? And maybe, maybe, that's not written down here. He's like, because you guys have messed up. (laughs) Somebody's got to fix your problems. And I'm calling people away from this reliance on a system and, and bringing them to a reliance on God. But even still, even in the midst of that, he's like, no, I'm just preparing a way for Jesus. There's one who's coming after me. I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm not even worthy to take off his shoes. Like, he's got a proper perspective of who he is in light of who Jesus is. And it's not this self-loathing, Eeyore style of humility. Because I feel like sometimes for us, when we think about humility, we feel like we've got to put ourselves down. You know, like, oh, I'm not very good, or I'm not that worthy, or I'm not this, that, and the other thing. And I don't think John's doing that. I don't think he's putting himself down. I think he's just putting the light on Jesus. Because I think that's what that humility really does. Instead of shining the light on ourselves, what humility does is we take that spotlight and we shine it on somebody else. And, and most of the time we think of humility as the antithesis to arrogance, right? Instead of bragging a lot, we just put ourselves down. But even that putting ourselves down can turn into a lot of me, 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 and I, 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 self-pity, self-loathing, self-deprecating, like all of those things can still be pointing the spotlight on me. And John, he understands his role as to turn the light on Jesus and to turn it on full blast. And I think that's where we get our good example here from John is He's the one who said, nope, don't, don't shine the light on me. These stage lights don't belong on me. They belong on Jesus. He's the one you need to look to. He's the one who prov- can provide what you're looking for. He's the one who's from God. He's the one you need to follow and trust and believe and not me. I'm just preparing people. I'm clearing the path. I'm getting people interested. I'm helping them open their ears and open their eyes and their hearts to receive what's, what's coming. Now, I do want to skip ahead, and I didn't tell the folks in the back about this, so the words won't be up there. But we got to skip ahead to chapter 3 to get a little bit more of the story and how John is our example of humility as Christians. And so we've had Jesus arrive on the scene at this point. There's been a transition. John has even said he's baptizing people. Here comes Jesus by the Jordan. He goes, oh, look, it's the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. It's it's an identification of who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish, that he would be the one who would sacrifice himself for all of our sins. John wasn't going to do that. It was Jesus' role to do that. It was Jesus' mission to do that for us. And so he's like, look, now go follow him. Get away from me. Go after him. He's the one you want. He's the one who can give you eternal life. He's the one who can provide the things that I can't. Like, he's the one that you want to turn away from the legalism and the traditions and the moral behavior policing of the temple system. He's the one who can provide you with salvation and reconciliation to God Almighty. Go follow him. So then we've got some stories about Jesus between chapter 1 and chapter 3. Jesus at a wedding, and there's the whole water into wine thing. That's a pretty interesting story. And then... There's Jesus interacting with Nicodemus late at night, and he's asking him tough questions. And, and you get that famous verse that you see on sports signs all over the place, John 3, 16. Yep, that comes in around here. 
God so loved the world, all that business. It's also weird conversations where Jesus tells Nicodemus, look, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, how do you, i got to like crawl back up into my mother's womb? And like, what? That doesn't make no sense. It's kind of a funny thing to say. I mean, really. He's like, no, 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 no. Spirit and water. Silly Nicodemus. And then we get to this testimony about John again. More John the Baptist stuff. We get to verse 25 of chapter 3. It says, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, the whole baptism stuff that was going on, right? Verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. So it's like, some of them didn't leave John and go follow Jesus. They were still hanging around John, and they were watching him, still baptizing people and, and trying to push them toward Jesus. And some people left and went and followed Jesus, but they're like, look, look this guy over here, he's like, he's your competition. What's going on? Why is that guy over there doing these things? Why are people following him instead of you? And sometimes us church people get that way with other churches. Oh, that other church in the area, they got, you know, this thing going on, and look at all the people that are going. Who cares <laughs> about the competition stuff? But at least John's like, look, I'm not the guy. I'm not the Savior. He is. He is. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. If you've been in church for any period of time and know anything about John the Baptist, you know that line quite well. There's, there's even stickers on cars you've probably seen where there's a he greater than I, like lowercase i. Now you're going to see that on some cars. If you didn't before, you will now because I just pointed it out. That like whole thing comes from this, this whole concept. He must increase. I must decrease. He's like, no, it's, my time is coming to a wrap. It's, it's his show. It was all about him. It was never about me. It was all about him. He must get more of the attention. The light must shine on him, not on me. Not on me. And I love that because it just speaks to this heart of humility that John has. It's not a putting down of himself. It's not throwing himself in the mud pit. It's not pretending to be a Christian Eeyore or anything like that. He's like, no, Jesus is the one who gets all the glory. He's the one who deserves it. Anything that I have has been given from him anyways. He's the bridegroom that was promised to come and receive his bride, the church, his people. And I'm just the best man standing over on the stage hearing him recite his vows and just blushing in excitement because I'm so excited about the bridegroom coming to unite with the bride finally. He must have the attention and the spotlight, not me. So follow him. Follow him. And I think for us, as we think through this idea of humility and how we can grow in that characteristic, which is tough because sometimes in order to gain more humility in our lives, we must be humiliated, which is unfortunate. 
sometimes when we have failures and mistakes and errors in our lives, uh, it can do a few things. It can embitter us. It can make us uh, addicted to things. It can turn us away from God. Or it can foster a deep-rooted sense of humility where we understand our proper position in light of who God is, that all things that we have anyways come from Him. And it's, it's hard to really describe that until you've been to a place where everything's been taken away from you, where you felt like the eggs in your basket were dumped on the floor and all you're staring at is broken shells and egg yolks. And I don't wish that on anybody. Sometimes the bottom is really scary low for some folks before they have this humility about them that is willing to accept what someone else, namely Jesus, has done for them. But John acknowledges any, any attention that I had, any people that came to listen to me, I was sent from God anyways. And now the bridegroom has come. He must get the spotlight. I need to step into the background. He says, verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He, is, he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. So he's, he's basically explaining his proper position with Jesus, right? Jesus is from heaven. He is God. I am from here. It's not, it's not like, it's just this acknowledgement of like, there is a difference between us, and rightly so. He is creator. And as John, remember, put it at the very beginning of his gospel, <laughs> the, in the beginning was the word, Jesus. All things were made through him and by him, Jesus. So it's like, yeah, yeah he's creator. I'm created. And I think that first step in humility is just understanding our proper position in our relationship with Jesus. He goes on, he says, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Fiery words there to finish John's testimony. But I think one thing that's really important is just understanding not only our position and our relationship with God. He is creator and we are created. It's not going to change. It's just not going to change. It's not a bad thing. But he loves us so tremendously that, that Jesus would enter into our space. Uh, be able to sympathize with us, uh, live a life and understand what goes on in the human experience, and yet do so without sin so that he could be the perfect sacrifice. And also, I think this humility understands the reality that Jesus is the only one who's capable of granting us eternal life. Because he lived a sinless life, he could be blameless and spotless and be able to pay the debt of all our sin. He could do what not a one of us could do so that we could be forgiven and given eternal life. So I think when we try to develop humility in our life, we have to start with that understanding of who God is and who we are and what God can do that we cannot do. We cannot earn eternal life. It is a gift of grace from Jesus Christ. 
He's the one who could do it. He's the one. And so for us, Christian humility means that we exalt Christ as the one, the only one, who could give us eternal life. We don't go around and talk about us. We don't preach about us. We don't draw attention to ourselves all the time, even in a negative way. Oh, I'm not that great. Oh, I'm not this. We need to get rid of the I part of the talking, and we need to exalt Jesus, take the spotlight off ourselves and put the spotlight on Jesus. He gives grace to those who are humble, and he opposes those who are proud. So maybe, just maybe, today we can take a step back, examine our hearts, and understand our position with Jesus and humbly, thankfully, gratefully accept his gift of eternal life for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done for us. More specifically, we thank you that you would humble yourself, enter into the created space with all the brokenness and issues that go on in this world and have for thousands of years. And you chose to come among us to show us how to live, to show us how to love, and to show us who to believe in. So, Father, I just pray that whatever pride or arrogance is in our hearts that's keeping us away from a relationship with you, that we would humbly lay that down, that we would repent of our sin, turn away from it, and turn toward you and accept the fact that you're the one. You are the source. You are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through you. So, Father, forgive us of our sins. Thank you for your love through Jesus. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe. And to find out more about Christian Church, please visit our website at cconline.cc or visit our YouTube page by searching Christian Church Warrington and Napa for more video content.